morning, friends, and happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, We're so glad to have all of you here today, especially if you're a guest. The first time you've been here, maybe it came with some trepidation. You haven't been to church in a while. Well, I tell you what, we love to be a warm and welcoming church and and to put you at ease. Uh, that's, That's our job. Because we want to give you the most important news that has ever been proclaimed, and that is the gospel. I think in this audience, there's probably a couple of different groups of people. And the two groups of people that I want to address here today are those who have been considering becoming a Christ follower. You're really thinking about it. You're reading the Bible, you're reading other types of books. And you're wondering, you know, is this for me? Does this fit? Does it make sense to me? Well, my prayer for you today is that you would cross the line. That you would put your faith in the Almighty God, Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you today. And for those of you, another group who are skeptics, you have a lot of questions. Uh, You're not convinced at all. I just pray that you would continue to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. I pray that today might be a day that will send you in a direction and say, I'm going to finalize this once for all. Because that's the main question in life that everybody has to answer. Who was Jesus Christ? That's what we'll be looking at uh, today. So... uh, for those I just talked to, I want you to go into it with an open mind. So you've got to put a couple things aside. First of all, you have to put aside every Christian uh, that you have not respected <laughs> over the many years that you have lived. Every Christian that did not walk the talk. Every Christian that was a hypocrite. Every Christian that hurt you. Because the foundation of Christianity is not Christians. Christians are sinful. Christians um, mess a lot of things up. So you've got to put that aside. You also need to put aside uh, the idea of unanswered prayers. Many times people have a common objection to God and saying, well, you never listen to my prayers. You never answer my prayers. Well, you've got to put that aside because Christianity, the foundation, is not God answering your prayers in the way that you would like. Another common objection you have to put aside is uh, that you have questions. Oh, you've got all kinds of questions, all right? Well, put those questions aside. I want you to open your mind. Uh, Let's just pray right now. Lord, I pray that everyone here would open their minds and listen to what the Spirit has to say about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray some today would cross the line and put their faith in Him. Now, sociologists over the years have studied the patterns of civilizations and, and different movements. And typically there's a pattern and a movement where there's unrest. There's unrest in a nation or a city and people are not satisfied. And so... Then they, they divide up into factions and divisions in terms of how are we going to you know, take this problem on. They all have different solutions. But then a charismatic leader comes forward 
somebody who articulates exactly what they are thinking. And he's a gifted leader, and he, he leads these people toward change. He goes against the old guard and the status quo and um, talk about a revolution, uh, any way it might happen, but this, things are, are changed culturally in a very significant way. And then what happens is that usually there's uh, well, the leader dies, the leader dies, but the movement goes on because the movement wasn't based upon the leader. The movement was based upon his teaching. Let's think about the civil rights movement. How many have seen the movie Selma? Oh, you got to watch Selma, guys. Man, oh man. I mean, I know all about the civil rights movement, but that was a powerful, powerful movie that illustrated this process we just talked about. There was unrest with African Americans and other Anglos and other people about how the African Americans were treated. Uh, they uh, couldn't vote down south. I mean, they had the right to vote, but when they went to the clerk and said, hey, you know, can I register to vote? Uh, the clerk would ask them impossible questions that they could never answer. So there was discrimination going on. And so Martin Luther King uh, spoke up. He started to teach about this and said, said that there has to be a change. I have a dream, right? And, and therefore, he went all over the place proclaiming the dream that he had and leading nonviolent protests. Now, there were other groups that wanted to be violent, but when Martin Luther really started to earn some credibility, those other people said, well, I'm going with Martin. You know, forget the guns. Uh, he's going to get us there. And so they put pressure on the government. They put pressure on society. Uh, again, many different things that happened that were shown on the news that opened up people's eyes uh, to how African Americans were treated. And changes took place. Praise God. Praise God. Changes took place. And then Martin Luther King, of course, was assassinated. But it really didn't matter because it was about what he taught. It wasn't about him. Or think of uh, Islam. Now before the prophet Muhammad came on the scene, uh, they were all polyistic, which meant that they worshipped many gods. They had all different kinds of idols, wood idols, gold idols, and they had an idol for every problem. They're all polyistic. Then the prophet Muhammad shows up and he says, Listen, I was in a cave and God spoke through an angel and he gave me this revelation. He wrote the revelation down and he taught people about it and they really bought into it. What happened was eventually in the Arab world they were once polytheistic. That's a lot of gods. Well, it came down to being one God, Allah. That is a God that they serve. Now, the Prophet Muhammad died in 632 B.C., and it didn't really impact things that much because the movement was based on the teaching. It wasn't based on the person. 
Well, friends, when we look at Christianity, we see it doesn't fit the pattern. Sociologists would never say, no, Christianity is an anomaly. It's unique. There's really no explanation for how it, it grew. And we're going to talk about that uh, today. Jesus Christ was many times challenged by the religious leaders because they wanted him dead. Because he was getting a whole lot more attention than they were. That was the main reason. And they thought he was teaching heresy. So they would try to come up with little traps for him. Put him in a situation where he'd have to say something that would get him in trouble, like they gave him a coin. A Roman coin with Caesar's uh, head on it. And they said, whose is this? So they think, well, if he says Caesar, then he's honoring Caesar. And if he says God, he's a rebel against Caesar. That's what they were trying to paint him as. So they gave him the coin, and Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. <laughs> How did he come up with that? <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> well, they tried other ways. They tried to paint him again as a revolutionary in that he was trying to destroy the Old Testament law. Read Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That, and that's true. That was one of the key things about Jesus Christ being on this earth, is he had to complete the whole law and do it perfectly so God might be satisfied. So again, they really couldn't nail them there because they couldn't nail them. John 18:36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, that's a great recruiting slogan, isn't it? Hey, you want to join my kingdom? Well, you're going to have to wait a while, you know, a couple hundred years, whatever. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Well, again, Jesus was not into kingdom building or movement building as we understand it today. He was about something totally different. In fact, he was having a conversation with his disciples near his death. We see in Matthew 16, and, he's, and they said, he had asked, what are people saying about me? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to him, them, but who do you say that I am? These are his disciples. They've been with him for over three years, seen the miracles and the teachings. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, wait, hold on here. I think you might have misinterpreted something. I'm just teaching you some good. Yeah, I'm a good teacher, all right, but I'm not God. Do you know what Jesus said? He said to Peter, you are right on, and God has revealed that to you. The problem with Jesus' message is that it was all about him. It wasn't about a set of teachings. It was all about him. No other movement or religion is like that. It's all about 
him. And we look over where when John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ coming up to him. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice he doesn't say, Behold the Lamb of God who will explain how your sins will be taken away from you. This great teacher will reveal what you need to know. No, 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 no. He says, This is the Lamb of God. It's going to be sacrificed. He is the message. In another situation, you had uh, Lazarus. Remember how he died? And his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And, and he was getting sick. And so they sent a message to Jesus. Hey, you got to get here right now or Lazarus is going to die. And you know what the compassionate Jesus does? The sensitive Jesus Oh, wait a couple of days. We'll wait till he dies. So he waits. Then you get the news. Hey, he's dead. Okay, let's go. And <laughs> you know, here Mary and Martha are just torn apart. And, and he gets there. And then they basically say to him, Hey, you weren't here in time. Have you ever said that to God? Hey. You weren't here for me. You didn't come through. You didn't fulfill my needs. Well, God has His own plan. So when these sisters came up, just full of bereavement, you know, Jesus Christ didn't say, I'm so sorry about Lazarus. Let's pray together. No, He didn't say that. He said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall he live. Again, he's talking about himself. <laughs> I am the resurrection. I'm the one who brings people back from life, from death, that is. And I'm life. I'm what truly life is, what life should be all about. He says, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, for their future, though they die spiritually, excuse me, though they die physically, they will not die spiritually. They'll live with Christ for eternity. Now we look over in uh, John 14, 8 and 9, and he was having a conversation with his disciples, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I mean, if you, would you just reveal the Father? Could He just show up for, you know, like ten minutes? I mean, that, then we'll seal the deal. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show the Father? Jesus Christ was saying, I'm God incarnate. I'm here with you. I am God. And the disciples just didn't quite understand everything. They couldn't quite put it together because they were thinking of the normal type of movement. They thought that Jesus Christ, of course, was a Messiah and that he was going to defeat Rome. And that's the, their idea of a Savior. 
But Jesus Christ wanted to save them from something else. And that was a penalty of their sin. We had a wonderful time here on Friday celebrating Christ's death. And Justin Searles, uh, he really was a brainchild behind that, and he was sick, so he couldn't make it. Uh, He's doing better today. But we we talked about the seven last words of Christ. So so the, the ultimate question is, who is Jesus? Well, he's God. Well, why did he come here? Well, if he came here, because we all had a real problem. God is holy. He is pure. He is sovereign. And he cannot have a relationship with people who are unholy. And we're born sinners. You know, it's genetically passed down. Adam and Eve, you know, had that great relationship with God. They were holy and then they ate of the fruit and became unholy. And were cast out of the gardens. They wouldn't have to live forever in that state. So... That's why when Jesus was born, it was a virgin birth because Joseph had the genetics in regards to passing down the sinful nature. Okay? So he couldn't have any type of uh, sin as a part of him. In fact, it's interesting. I was listening to someone, or my wife told me that uh, another pastor was saying that, that Jesus Christ was one of the strongest men on earth. Not like a bodybuilder, but the fact that his body was not tainted by sin. When you think about the cross, when you think about what he went through, how in the world could he sustain that much pain? Well, one of the reasons is because he had the body <laughs> to endure and to carry on. Well, so there was a real problem here. God is holy, we're unholy. God loves us so much. And he wants to work it out so that we can be free from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in hell and suffering. He didn't want that for any of us, but that's a penalty. And he's a just God. And he has to come through. If he's not just, if he doesn't you know, take the penalty and make it happen, that makes him unjust. So what happened was, is that God sent himself to cover our sins. To be a substitute for us. Jesus Christ, born as an infant, fully God and fully divine. The God-man. And he fulfilled all the law. He did it perfectly. He was tempted. And he truly was tempted. But he did not sin. And that made him the perfect person. Somebody who was God, of course, who could absorb the sins of this world, and also somebody who was a man, who was a representative of us, but a pure representative. So as he hung on the cross there, as you know, in the last three hours, that's when all the sins of this world, all the sins of you and me, past, present, future, all the sins of people who lived before, all the sins of people who lived in the future, he absorbed them. Now, who can do that? Only Jesus Christ. He took the penalty. That type of penalty was equal to us spending eternity away from God. Every bad thing you see in the news, every perverted thing, 
Jesus Christ was bearing upon him. You'll never understand, uh, again, the type of pain that he went through there, much greater than the physical pain, I believe. But he was dying for us. He was a substitute. He was a substitute for us. So again, when you talk about the gospel, you basically say, okay, if I want to become a Christ follower, I need to believe in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The resurrection is just important. A lot of people have died. Very few have come back from the dead. But he was the message. He was the message. He died and he rose again in order that we might have victory in this life over sin, over Satan's influences. And we might spend eternity with God. And I can tell you there is nothing better. (laughs) Life makes sense when your your, uh, eyes are unveiled. It's just like uh, with the disciples. They didn't understand. Let's look at the resurrection text. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, what is wrong with this story that they're telling? Why would they put Mary Magdalene in? Mary Magdalene was a woman. Women had no credibility in that day. They were like shepherds. Shepherds were thieves, so they had no credibility. So why would they put Mary Magdalene went there first? I mean, that just kind of blows people out of the water. Oh, what are you talking about? As a woman. Well, they, they said this because Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. <laughs> you see what the gospel writers do? And throughout the Bible, you see life as it is. Uh, You see all types of sinners. You see all types of problems just like we have. But you see that Jesus is the answer. In fact, even when they they wrote the the accounts, the first eyewitness accounts, uh, they were very honest about who they are. Remember? I mean, here's here's Jesus with his disciples, and they are starting this movement in the disciples' mind. And all of a sudden, the Roman soldiers come to arrest him. And what do the disciples do? They say, we're going with you, Jesus. They split. (laughs) They were out of there. That's how strong that movement was. (laughs) Hey, hey, love that teaching. Love that teaching. Hey, hey, don't want to be killed. Don't want to be killed. I'm gone. Then he got Peter. You got to give him some credit. He shadowed Jesus down to the courts around the trials that were taking place and But as people identified him as a disciple, he denied that he knew Jesus Christ. He denied that he knew Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Peter was a leader. He was the one that says, let's go. He's the one who cut cut the ear off the soldier in the garden there. And finally he wimps out. So there's nobody. The movement is dead when Jesus Christ dies. Why? Because the movement was Jesus. And if Jesus is no longer alive, there's no purpose for a movement. There were no believers that are recorded in the Scriptures that, hey, remember when he said that uh, he's going to come back to life again? There's no record of that. They figured, oh, how terrible. Let's go on with my life. 
So, Mary Magdalene comes up, and uh, so she ran in verse 2 and went to Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, that was John. This is the book of John, so he's writing a third person. And he was very close to Jesus. I mean, he was best friends with him, and he knew Jesus the best and understood him. And he said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. What's the assumption that they're making? Not resurrection like he talked about. <laughs> hey, they stole the body. What's going on here? We've got to take care of this. They were non-believers. Now, how did the disciples respond to this? But these words seemed to, seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Oh, it's just women. That's why we don't put them in court. <laughs> you know? What a silly story. Somebody stole the body of Jesus Christ. You see, here are the disciples who walked with Christ for three years and knew that he said that he was going to die and rise again. And, and they're just saying, hey, he's dead, man. It's over. It's over because he was the message and the message is no more. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciples. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other, that's John, disciple, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And in verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. After all, it was a tomb. Well, <laughs> you got Peter coming, right? 20, verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. <laughs> You want to be right in the middle of the action. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloths which bit on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, he also went in at that point, and he saw and he believed. Friends, the person that Jesus Christ knew best in this world did not really believe in what he said. He thought he was dead. But when he came into that tomb, God revealed everything to him. Oh, yeah, he said he was going to come back. And I, it, it just makes sense to him. And he's filled with joy, of course, right? Because He is a Savior, and He is the message, and He's alive, and He is going to lead us into the future. I mean, Christ made it very plain to them in John eight thirty one and 32. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man may, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He said this plainly. How much more plain could he get? Hey, guys, listen to me again, all right? I'm going to suffer and die and be killed, and after three days, count them, one, one, two, three, I'm going to rise again. Was there anybody there at the tomb who was waiting, you know, doing the countdown? Ten, nine, eight. Was there anybody there who was camping out waiting for the great event to happen? No, because none of them were really true believers until Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Then what happened, as you know, is that the early church began. Like three weeks after Jesus Christ's death, something of that nature. And, and Peter, of all people, right? 
he got up and he told these Jewish people who said crucify him and who mocked Jesus Christ, he said, and you killed the author of life whom God has raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. That's a key thing. They saw it. We are witnesses. We have seen the risen Christ, the one who was killed and put in a tomb. He is alive today. Remember what happened? We talked about this on Friday when Jesus Christ died. People came out of their graves. They came out of their graves. It was like a big celebration, you know. Like I said on Friday, it would be disturbing to see your dead grandmother alive at your house. (laughs) But that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to bring life. He came to change your life. So this is what Peter says. He's speaking to a whole crowd of people here. Again, a lot of them, some of them had even seen Jesus Christ. I mean, right then, everybody pretty much had seen Jesus Christ or heard about it. At one point, 500 people saw him at one time. Well, news gets around when a dead person shows up. <laughs> We're witnesses. So what does he say? He says four things. You killed him. And they did. Many of the people in the audience were uh, those who cried, crucify him, and uh, were overjoyed that he was dead. Whom God raised from the dead. So you killed him, God raised him, and we've seen him. We've seen him. He's alive. He was the real deal. He is the message. So you better say you're sorry. Right? That's what they said. You better say you're sorry. You better repent. You better say to God, I'm so sorry that I doubted about Jesus Christ and I want to repent and I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel, friends. God loved you, 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 so much that He set Himself down here in order to give His life. To give His life so that you could have life forever with Him. That whoever believes, if you believe in the death of Jesus Christ and that it canceled out your sins and it's a free gift that you've been given, nothing about works, you add anything to what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and it's a work-based salvation. I mean, you could do good things, but they don't count as works. And after you become a Christian, you do good works, but they do not impact your salvation at all because Jesus Christ gives you the package up front. What an amazing gift. And I would love to have you receive that gift today. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Our uh, bookkeeper, Susie Parker, died recently after years of suffering. She was such a beautiful saint of God. And because the fact that Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life, I know that Susie is in heaven today. There's no doubt in my mind. She's having a great time. Oh, greatest time she's ever had in her life. That's what this promise means. That's, that's why, again, it breaks all the molds. 
You know, it didn't make any sense. I mean, Christ, and then he died, and of course he was a message, so then it died. And he came back, and they finally got it. But it wasn't that they were carrying his teachings. They were carrying who he was and how people needed to respond. Friends, every one of us has to make a decision about who Jesus Christ was and how are you going to respond to that. Now, if you accept him and become a Christ follower, well, it's pretty sweet. But uh, if you reject him, well, you'll have to suffer the penalty. Or if you make no decision whatsoever, you'll still suffer the penalty. So you've got to make a decision. Do you know what you believe about Jesus Christ? He said he was God. He was not just a good teacher. He came to die for our sins. He was resurrected. And some of you skeptics out there have questions about this. Oh, there's all kinds of resources that can help you. Uh, Lee Strobel, Case for Faith. Uh, Again, just wonderful books that you can explore. Because if you're at a point here where God has spoken to you and said, yeah, I do need to check this out, you need to make this the major project of your year to determine who Jesus Christ was and make a final decision. And oh, I pray that God reveals the truth to you. Now, some of you, you want to make the decision today. You want to get the gift today. I mean, who wants to leave a gift under the tree? Oh, we'll get to that in New Year's. I'm so tired of, you know, opening gifts. No! You're going to open every gift. And this is the greatest gift that was ever given. And so, of course, you're going to want to ride away. Come on! Yeah! So, so take out the insert, the green insert, and fill that information out if you feel so led. I think the first one is, uh, somebody give me a green insert. Thanks, Stacy. So, let's first of all look at the prayer. This is the type of prayer you pray. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It just includes about what Jesus Christ said about how to have a relationship with Him. Lord Jesus, I want to know You personally. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask forgiveness for my sins and open the door of my life and receive You as my Savior and Lord. I no longer trust in my good works to gain a relationship. I know now it's a free gift. Thank you for giving my for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Well, that's too simple. Yeah, that's right. Anybody can do it, right? We're all in the same boat. So, if you're led by the Holy Spirit right now and you say, "Yes, I want the gift. I want the gift," you can pray this silently as I pray it. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask forgiveness for my sins and open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. And no longer trust in my good works to gain a relationship with you. I know now it is a free gift. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. So what you want to put there is made a personal decision to follow Christ today as our Savior because 
if you have experienced Christ's touch and He's transformed you and He's given you this beautiful gift, you need others to come around you and support you and encourage you and help you grow. Or maybe you still have a lot of questions. That's okay. As long as you're pursuing God, that's the most important thing. If you're not pursuing Him, that's a real problem. But continue to pursue Him. And we would love to help you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. Or please pray for me as I continue to explore a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're, you're one of those people like, I want to know more. I want to know. Dig in. By the end of this year, have an answer. Be able to explain to somebody who Jesus Christ was. Because he was lying. Right? <laughs> if he said he was the Son of God, he's a liar. Or he's crazy. There are your three choices. Crazy, liar, or he's Lord. Right? Uh, so, again, uh, please, we're going to have a couple presentations here. Give you some time to think and meditate. And uh, uh, just uh, tear off this green sheet and fill it out. And, again, if you, if you check the first two, uh, we'd love to have your name and email so we can uh, help you. We're going to look at a video of a family that was transformed by Jesus Christ. Now, they both had become Christians earlier in life, but they had walked away from the church. Well, they decided to come back. And it's not about the church, per se. It's coming back to Jesus. They came back to Jesus, and wonderful things happened. And then we'll have a very special presentation that illustrates the beauty, the grace, the love, the mercy I want you to really pray to God and let Him speak to you at this time. My family and I have been attending Springbrook for almost two years now. We're not new Christians. Karen and I became believers in Christ over 20 years ago. Since then, I became a husband, a father, and started into a busy career. This busy lifestyle left little or no time for church. It was my plan to lead my family to Christ on my own terms, basically whenever I could fit in the schedule, which wasn't that much. Still, I occasionally read the Bible with the boys, taught them right from wrong. We sometimes went to church, but mostly just on Christmas and Easter. Then we stopped going altogether. That was okay. Things were just fine. You know, the boys were well-behaved doing good in school, good in their sports. Things for me were busy. I was busy at my job, um, which led to a lot of hours. Um, what I didn't really count on were those long hours taking some pretty valuable time away from my boys. Around two years ago, our family fell into a little crisis situation with uh, one of our boys. I was pretty angry. I couldn't believe something like this was even possible with one of my kids. Karen brought the idea up that we should start going to church again. I guess I agreed with her. That is, until that first Sunday morning. I remember waking up, hitting the couch, and Karen came over and asked, Aren't you going to get ready for church? I came up with some excuse like, Why don't we just go next week? Uh, you guys are too emotional after the week we just had. But the look in her eyes and determination in her voice pretty much led me to get up and go to church that day. We arrived at Springbrook and were greeted by some pretty friendly faces, and then after we took our seats, Pastor Dan came over and introduced himself. 
we made some small talk, and then Dan asked me a very simple question in a uh, sincere attempt to find out a little bit more about us. Something like, uh, so what kind of church background uh, are you coming from? Well, that was pretty easy for me. I grew up going to church. So uh, in a confident voice, I started naming all the churches we had attended and some of my history. And then everything just stopped. I literally lost the ability to speak. I looked over at my family, and uh, tears began to swell in my eyes. Nothing even close to this type of experience has ever happened to me before. It was in that moment I was looking at myself as a spiritual leader of my family, and I felt like a complete failure. I finally realized some biblical wrongs in my life. I was raising my boys without church, without godly influences, doing what I wanted to do instead of what the Bible tells us to do. I had walked away from church for over a decade, and I was taking my family with me. But here's what happened after that moment. As I stood in church that day, I felt what I could only describe as a spiritual cleansing happen to me. As John and the band played the most spectacular music I'd ever heard, I felt as if the Holy Spirit was lifting heavy weight off my shoulders. The powerful message we heard from Pastor Dan that day and over the next few months felt as if they were tailor-made just for us. Dan also introduced us to youth pastor Justin Searles. Justin has been a remarkable blessing and influence in our son's lives. He is not just a youth pastor who teaches God's word in a way that captivates the boys' attention. He's a genuine friend to them and a counselor who cares. Throughout the past two years, there have been some incredible changes in our lives. I'm learning to put God in control of my life, to trust in Jesus and live by His example. Our entire family made the decision to get baptized together as statements of our faiths. Karen and I joined small groups, which has been a great encouragement in our lives. I joined a production team. Karen and Nate joined the First Impressions team. Our family is here every Sunday. I can't tell you how much it means for us to be here every week to receive God's word, to be around good Christian people, to praise and worship the Lord, to genuinely grow as Christians. For me, the peace I have in my heart knowing that my family is moving in the right direction closer to God is incredible. That crisis our family faced that led us to go to church that first day was completely resolved. I've learned to trust in Jesus. In life, it seems like there's so many opportunities for failures whether it's something at work, um, a project at home. But when it comes to being the spiritual leader of my family, I don't want to fail. And I'm so thankful to God for the work that He's doing in my family's lives. Holy is the 